0: Welcome to the Founders for Good Podcast, hosted by myself, Craig Turner. Join me as I speak to the most inspirational founders of 4Good Startups, the people that are leading the way when it comes to solving the world's most pressing issues. I explore their journey as founders and their best-kept secrets on how to grow a 4Good Startup and how to hire top people. My hope is that this will inspire you to be part of the solution and do your bit in making the world a better place. Thanks for tuning in to the Founders for Good Podcast. Michael Millership is a co-founder and trustee of the Felix Project. The Felix Project was set up by parents Jane and Justin Byam Shaw in honour of their son Felix, who died of meningitis in 2014. Justin discovered a charity in Oxford that was taking surplus food and redistributing it to local charities. He saw the opportunity to apply this model in London, and enlisted the help of his good friend Michael when set up the Felix Project in 2016. Every year in the UK, millions of adults and children struggle with food insecurity whilst the food industry generates 3 million tonnes of perfectly good food. The Felix Project works with wholesalers and supermarkets to rescue this food and redistribute it to over a 1,000 charities and schools in London. As one of the co-founders and trustees, Michael shares more about the Felix Project journey, the issues we face in the UK when it comes to food waste and food insecurity, and the challenges in building a successful charity. Hey
1: Michael, very excited to have you on the show today. How are you doing? Uh, well, thank you. And thank you so much for inviting me. I mean, um, it's my first chance to do something like this. So, I mean, interesting.
0: Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> so, so today, we're obviously going to chat about the Felix Project. Um, and I just wondered if you could start us off by sharing a bit about the background I like, how the Felix Project came about and, and what inspired
1: it. Well, I mean, it's very simple. The Felix Project was uh, the direct result of the death of um, Felix Byam Shaw, Jane and Justin's son. Who uh, died of bacterial meningitis in uh, in 2014, and um, you know um, one one can say that had not Felix died, the charity would not exist. It's that simple.
0: And and in terms of the like what Felix project is and and why um, Justin Jane chose to operate a charity in this particular area, can you can you share a bit more about that?
1: Yes, of course. Jane and Justin wanted to set up um, a a charity as a legacy for for Felix. Um, At the beginning, I don't think there was any sort of particular idea as to uh, what they may want to do. Uh, Obviously, perhaps something related to meningitis would have been one option, but they uh, chose to do something completely different. And, And I'll never forget one day Justin came to me, and said that uh, he'd been uh, he 'd come across a a charity in Oxford uh, that was collecting food, surplus food from supermarkets and delivering it to local charities uh, uh, and he felt that this was something that we could replicate in in London, and that was really the genesis of the idea. And a few months later, we'd registered a charity uh, by March 2016, I believe. And with no real experience or any clear idea of how we were going to, to do this, we hired one person. We had a van, uh, a small depot, which was laughably small now when I think back on uh, the speed of our, our growth. And uh, started to get our hands dirty with uh, advertising in local magazines uh, th- for volunteers. Um, our first, we hired our first employee, the employee, the magnificent, and Elkins, who is still with us, and uh, bought a van and scratched around looking for some charities that we could deliver the sort of the rather meagre quantities of surplus food that started. To come our to come our way, one of the charities that I remember that we first delivered to was the magnificently named Armenian Centre for Information and Advice, which i we may in fact still be delivering to for all I know, but it just goes to show what an extraordinary cross section of companies that we connected with in those very early days.
0: And um, I'm going to, we'll come back to the Felix Project story in a, in a moment. But I just wanted to chat to you for a little bit about the, the two major problems that the Felix Project's solving, which is food waste as well as food poverty. And I think the, it sounds odd actually saying those two things in the same sentence. Like, how can we be in a country where we have all this food going to waste while we also have people that are starving going without meals? Um, but to look at food waste first, Michael, could you give an idea of like how much food is being wasted in the UK? At the moment, what's how big is
1: the problem? Well, I mean, there are organisations that dedicate themselves to uh, collating this information. And one headline figure that I have in my mind is uh, 10 million tonnes a year of food waste post-farm gate, I believe. Now, it's more complicated than that, of course. And of that 10 million tonnes, approximately 70 or 75% is food that is... Thrown away, discarded, wasted at home. Um, so, essentially, from our point of view, it's irrelevant. It has no purpose in terms of food that we can uh, that we can, uh, as, a, as a charity, repurpose. If you like, um, a lot of the other food, a million more than a million tons, is, for one, is food that's wasted by the food industry. Um, but even so, there is still at the end of all that, discarding all this potential waste that we can't do anything with, there's probably 200,000 tons of perfectly good edible food that uh, is available for repurposing, if you like, to people. It's food that's within, it's used by date. There's nothing wrong with it at all. Uh, the question is getting it from where it's been generated to where it can be used which is basically to you know the vast numbers of people in uh London which is where we operate who are suffering from food uh, food insecurity
0: and um yeah i like you touched on like we i've had a couple of guests on and when we talk about food waste the majority of that happens in the home which is very difficult to impact um, f- from a Felix project perspective, where is most of the food being donating from? Like I think if you ask the average person, they'd probably guess it's coming from the supermarkets. But but is that the case or is it coming from somewhere else?
1: The supermarkets definitely account for uh 50% probably of the food that we collect. And it's in a way, it's it's the the hardest part of the food to collect because it does involve us running around London in our vans collecting you know unknown often quantities of food from multiple stores which as you can imagine with the london traffic and the logistics is a massive uh, is a massive undertaking our interest though is to move further up the food chain to regional distribution centers to packing companies to uh, other operations that provide much larger quantities of food in one place uh, that limits the logistical difficulty that we have of collecting uh, the food that we uh, redistribute, which all, of course, which gets brought back to our depots and is then repackaged and uh, sent out to the 1,000 or so charities, uh, community organizations, schools that we uh, that we deliver to at the moment and and
0: these distribution centres where the food comes from the reason for them supplying you with the food is is that food that's going to go off is is that just purely surplus food is that them trying to do some good
1: yeah what look one, th- one thing that i've realised i mean you know, i had no charity experience before and certainly none in the food sector i mean i the you know i got an enormous amount of respect for the food industry because they are running extraordinarily complex Supply chains, um, by and large, very, very efficiently. But inevitably, in order to keep full shelves, which is an essential, which is, I understand, an important mantra for the food industry of all, a full range of all their products, the cost of doing that is inevitably some waste. You know, I think within the industry at the supermarket level, perhaps 5%. A five percent wastage is considered the normal cost of doing business, but you know that is still, given the scale of the food industry, whatever the tonnage is of food that's sort of produced every year, a significant amount of food. They therefore have to dispose of this food, which. Quite possibly it is within it has to be from our perspective it has to be within its use by date, otherwise we can 't deliver it we 're governed by exactly the same rules and regulations as the as the food industry, so any food outside the use by date, which is really the only significant you know, legally significant cut off um, needs to be wasted. Any food before that is food that we can potentially collect, but it does require. A huge amount of effort on the part of the food sector to deliver that or make it available to us because culturally traditionally over until the last few years it was much easier to dispose of that somewhere else i mean you know they profit margins for the food sector are very thin and the cost at a operational level for an individual supermarket to worry about how they would dispose of that surplus food was not something that they would uh Um, necessarily want to do that has changed somewhat now i mean and the zeitgeist now is geared much more towards reusing that food there is an increasing awareness at all levels of the folly and the perversity of not making sure that food which within date is delivered to the people that need it most
0: Absolutely, and to talk now about the people that need it the most, and and like the problem of food poverty, again, like, can you give some idea of like the extent of the problem within
1: the UK in terms of food poverty? Poverty is obviously widespread. We we are specifically a London-based charity, and uh, which is uh, important in that the levels of poverty in London or food insecurity. I mean, I think better said now uh, the levels of food insecurity in london are such that london is now the part of the country which has the highest levels of food insecurity and in fact since the uh, the from pre pre pandemic levels the Level for the f- level of food insecurity in London has actually doubled, so it's even worse than it was before. According to information that we've had from pro bono work that we've had from done with one of our many supporters, the deficit, if you like, uh, within London is 150 million meals per annum. You know, to put a statistic to put a number on it. And, and that is only growing, as we're all aware, the cost of living crisis, this, the, the squeeze of increased energy costs, increased rents, have made the matter problem worse, not better over the last uh, over the last couple of years. So um, it's, a, in a sense, a problem that's not insoluble, but uh, it's not something that, uh, you know, we or indeed our other friends in this space are going to be able to sort out uh on our
0: own so yeah and then i think an important thing to probably highlight as well when it comes to food insecurity is that, that there's not one specific demographic or group that's being affected like it, it affects a lot of different people because i was reading on your website and, and also from research that um you know it's single parents it's um the elderly homeless refugees it, it's a lot of people right now that are, that are suffering from food insecurity right
1: Yes that's absolutely right I mean, and I see that from the broad cross section of um, of organizations that we deliver to they're not uh, i think it's it's important to emphasize we deliver to not just homeless people um, you know there's all kinds of reasons why people are in suffering in food insecurity one of the ones that was highlighted during the um the uh, the pandemic was social isolation for example people are housebound i mean they can't get out people with all sorts of sort of you know physical or mental health problems um, you know it's just people who are unemployed people increasingly and shamefully people who actually do have jobs um i i realize now have become one of the biggest groups of people who are a, a recent signings to the charity that we work with we we hear from our charities there's an is anecdotal that people who are working in hospitals or part-time workers people in the private sector people in the public sector are now accessing the organizations that we deliver food to on an increasing scale which is pretty shocking in one of the world's richest cities in 2023
0: it really is and um, my last question on this before we carry on talking about the Felix Project specifically, um, in your opinion, what, what needs to happen to create like a long-term solution to food waste and food insecurity in the UK? Is it is it like legislation, the government getting tougher? Is is it better connectivity within like the charities and, and the different players in the space? Well, what we
1: do, the re-, re repurposing food that's going to be wasted uh, is not really a long-term solution. Yeah. I mean, we are essentially an, an intermediary. We are, and effectively, using the problem of food waste, which would otherwise be go, go to anaerobic, anaerobic digestion or whatever. I mean, it's something I'd like to talk about later on, I no doubt, uh, to tackle the problem of food poverty. Now, food poverty, I mean, is a governmental, national issue that you know i personally d- don't really have time to sort of exercise myself about too much i mean it's shocking it's unacceptable um but it's uh a problem that is you know more complex and bigger than uh any solution that i think i'm going to or we as a charity are going to be in a position to uh to to resolve There are certain things that I think we see uh, in the charity sector that we do which have more quick fixes than others. For example, I've never really understood the government support for anaerobic digestion, which essentially subsidizes the production of biogas uh, and provides makes it an easy hit for the sector to buy food that could go to people to be eaten rather than becoming feedstock for uh, 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 the alternative energy sector. And and sorry, Michael, anaerobic
0: digestion isn't a term that I'm familiar with myself. Can you just explain exactly what that is?
1: Yes, of course. Yes, that's a very good point. Anaerobic digestion is a naturally occurring process whereby bacteria in an environment without oxygen convert organic material of all sorts, whether it's sewage sludge or food or uh, waste produce from farms into uh, mostly methane gas. uh, Now, methane gas is used for the production of hydrothermal energy in a in a uh, in a energy plant so essentially it's the conversion of food waste or organic material into gas now this is being heavily promoted and subsidized because it's considered to be uh, a neutral carbon neutral pr- process which i have my doubts about i don't think it is in fact but that's another story yeah
0: Right, well, that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, your kind of overall point, I guess, is that the government are promoting this quite heavily, but actually, there's there's much more effective ways to be using that food before it becomes waste.
1: Right, well, I think any 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 food fit for human consumption that's being fed into uh, used as feedstock for the production of uh, electricity is uh, is an absolute folly and and, and and as I said, perverse. And if you know, in, 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 I can add there that. You know, hundreds of millions of pounds every year are being used to support the anaerobic digestion industry, whereas we have an operating budget of 10 million pounds a year. A tiny fraction of the money that's being used to to subsidize the anaerobic digestion sector would cover the costs of us and other charities like us uh, to deliver much larger quantities of food to where it's needed most yeah that's that's challenging
0: to hear um so coming back to the felix project you were good enough to explain kind of how the whole thing came about um and like how things started and you just mentioned kind of just the cost of the operation which is very significant can you give us an idea of like how big is the felix project today in terms of you know size of the operation number of people working for you etc
1: yeah um well we started as i mentioned in 2000 and uh, 2016 and with one employee and one van, um, I, it's changing all the time. But I would imagine uh, now, I believe we've got about 150 full-time staff. We've got a fleet of about 60 vans. Uh, we contract vans and lorries to truck in food supplies from further outside of London. So we've become an, an enormous logistical Operation uh, over the last uh, over the last six years, in terms of delivery, uh, last year we delivered the and I say the, the specifically not meals, the equivalent of um, twenty nine million meals um, with out of twelve thousand just over twelve thousand tons of food. Yeah, so it's a huge amount of. of meals but as i said before if the demand is 150 and we do 29 million other charities do perhaps much again with you know not as much as us in london but you know substantial quantities of food there's still a huge gap you know and so we're, we're limited by funding we're limited by the amount of, uh, of food that we can get from the food industry and of course we're just limited by the logistical. Difficulty involved, but we are we have evolved into an extraordinarily efficient and uh, uh, facilitator, if you like, for the food industry where they where they want to to make sure that their food is not actually ending up in an anaerobic digestion plant or in landfill, uh, and uh, we're very proud of that achievement. Uh, how much bigger we get, because as I it, is depends really on the level of funding that we can uh, that we can secure, because it's very scalable. as I, you know I mentioned, there's over two hundred thousand tonnes of food best estimate that could be repurposed. I mean ourselves and other charities in our uh, our sector perhaps do 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 well under half of that. So the potential to rescue more food is uh, still enormous, but you know it comes at a it costs money to 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 grow,
0: yeah, and and, and you I think you said earlier, do you say that the running costs just on the operation as it is now, is it you said it was ten million pounds a year that it costs just to run the Felix project?
1: Yes, it does. It's ten million pounds a year just to stand still, yeah you know, that's what we need to raise. We don't we have very little long term funding every year we start with pretty much. You know, we we may have a small balance in the bank account, but then we've got to go out, we've got to wonder where we're gonna get the money from for the next year. We have actually been remarkably successful so far at fundraising, but you know, are we you know, our hearts in our miles every year. I mean, how much are we going to raise? The last two years, in fact, we've raised less money than um we've done, than we've needed. There's been a deficit of you know, one one and a half million pounds and that's not sustainable long term. So um and we don't want to stand still either. I mean, we do want to grow. I mean, we see that there's a, that there's a massive demand for our service and we see that there's a lot more food that can be, you know, that can be uh, collected. The question is, you know, having the resources at our disposal to be able to do that.
0: And, and looking back at the fundraising over the years, because um, I think that's the key to any successful charity is um, getting the exposure, the, the awareness of what you're doing, getting the buy-in from people. What have been some of the more successful campaigns or like channels that you've had um, when it comes to raising money?
1: Well, we were very, very fortunate and it uh, has to be said right at the beginning with the extraordinary support that we had from the... Uh, the evening standard and independent newspapers of which Justin, at the time that we started up was the chairman but with the uh the, the engagement of the uh, genie lebedez the proprietor and the journalists there in particular um david cohen who wrote a seminal piece of investigative german journalism back in 2016 on exactly this topic food waste and uh and um and, and poverty we had an excellent calling card to put ourselves out there and it really gave us enormous impetus uh, in terms of creating public awareness which helped us in getting volunteers that wanted to come and support us because they're an absolutely essential part of uh, our uh, our structure the spirit de corps from our volunteers is uh, something which is uh, you know, really, really valuable and essential. And the, uh, it made us increase awareness with potential funders, and uh, it also brought us to attention people in the food sector who often would contact us and say, we love what you're doing. I mean, you know, what can we do to help? And some of some of the food suppliers that supported us are still, are still with us as a result of that campaign. So without a doubt, the uh, that support which has been ongoing has been made, made a huge difference to us at the beginning. You know, I think also there was the uh, well-connected group of trustees. We were able to rope in, you know, what would be considered, I suppose, friends and family right at the beginning, and uh, with connections within the industry, we, we we had an enormous amount of goodwill. Which meant that we could uh, generate the funds that we needed to start small. I think in the first year we perhaps did 300,000 meals, you know, but uh, we grew very quickly after that as a result of, uh, you know, the network connections of the people that were involved in the, in the charity and um, the support of the newspapers. I mean, I think, you know, they, they were the standout achievements, and of course, the drive and ambition of, you know, my friend, um, J- Justin, who's e- extremely driven, and very creative when it comes to the undertakings of this nature.
0: If you're listening and thinking, I'd love to work for a company like this, then you need to go to www.jobsforgood.io, where they have the best jobs in four good companies, From climate change to social impact to green transport, you'll be able to find the perfect job for you. Trust me. Check it out. www.jobsforgood.io. Now back to the podcast. I think you have to be. Um, And you you touched there about the importance of the volunteers, which was going to be my next kind of point of questioning, which was... um, you know that obviously you have a huge amount of you 150 know, odd full time employees and that's growing you know every day every month um but you heavily run on on the volunteers as well like for anyone listening that would be interested in doing some volunteering like what, what are the different tasks or shifts that someone could get involved in and
1: and how does that help you well if we i if if we didn't have the hundreds of volunteers that come in and work with us on a daily basis we we, we would have finan- – our, our financial costs would, would be substantially higher. I mean, so the volunteers save us probably – I don't know. I mean, I'm probably going to regret saying there's three-quarters of a million pounds a year in payroll for a start. Um, and the ways in which they support us are driving vans, going out – as a co-pilot with a van driver, I mean, as I know from experience, I mean, going out on your own in a van, I mean, it's it's, it's an extremely stressful experience. Um, most of the volunteers, in fact, work in the depot, unpackaging, repackaging, sorting, and delivering the food. You know, the vast quantities of food that we get delivered in every day, um, and there is a platform that enables volunteers to sign up. I mean, from the website, and um, you know, we always are looking for. People that want to come and work with us, and some volunteers have essentially turned working for Felix into a second career. I mean, when they've uh, when they've retired, um and I think it's interesting to note that a lot of the volunteers, people that have started as vol- working as volunteers for us, and in fact become full-time members of staff. So I think this gives a sort of, sort of a reflection of just you know the value and the 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 camaraderie that exists within the organisation and the um, volunteer movement upon which we are so so dependent.
0: No, I was, was going to say hundred percent. Like I've I've volunteered a few times over, over the last like year and a half, and um, it's always good fun. It's always very well organised. Um, there's a lot of the same faces that there a year and a half ago still kind of in there running the depot, helping out. Um, so I'll make sure there's a link in the, the podcast notes. Um, but yeah, anyone considering it, it should definitely come over and, and um, take uh, part in like a volunteering shift for the Felix Project. That would
1: be very kind.
0: And um, I guess final thing on, on this section, Michael, was just um, looking, looking forwards. And I appreciate this is going to be reliant on the funding you have access to, but what are some of the exciting plans that the Felix Project has over the next like, year or two? um
1: more of the more, more of the same we did we did uh a year and a half ago we opened uh, an industrial scale kitchen at our latest depot in poplar where we have a facility to turn out i mean a million million and a quarter prepared meals um, a year which was uh, our most recent uh, project we uh, are looking at developing green scheme in central London, um, which means collecting food from, uh, you know, the takeaway restaurants, the, you know, pret and, you know, these uh, uh, grab-and-go shops, which um, uh, have, you know, surplus food at the end of the day. So that's something that's been worked on at the moment. Um, we've now got four depots um, at the four cardinal points of London, um, which means that in terms of coverage of London, we do have the whole of city and refining our logistical sophistication because, you know, it is extraordinary that. You know we as an essentially amateurs have become uh, quite a big player i mean in uh, in terms of delivering and collecting of uh, of food it's no easy undertaking to to manage that um, so there's always uh there's always ways in which we can try and make it better i mean we're very keen to look after our efficiency ratios for example, because if we want to go to the financial sector or any sector, indeed, whether it's trusts or foundations or corporates or sort of philanthropists, it's very important that we can look them in the eye and, and, and say that for every pound that you give us as a donation, we're delivering five or six or seven times the value in terms of surplus food. So efficiency is a sort of a metric that for us is very, very important to control. So keeping that any, anything that we can do to work on that, I mean, is always on our radar. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I could totally imagine. I guess as a charity, that that's your main lever is well, two main levers to growth is is obviously the funds and what's coming in, but then also how efficiently that business is operating or the organization's running, is, is that, that's that's the main thing you can impact.
1: Um, so it makes total sense. W- without a doubt. Yeah. If we would we we would be difficult to look anybody in the eye and ask for the money. I mean if it would be just the same to go and give it to the people who we are, are recipients i mean we deliver i think we probably did for the equivalent of 45 million pounds of food last year for example you know and I, I i don't know but you know and i have heard it said that we act in a sense as a sort of a fourth arm of social services i mean in some areas so if if the government were to want to give one of their favored contracting companies uh, a, a contract to deliver the equivalent amount of food that we delivered which is worth 45 million pounds of which we deliver for free that would probably be a 200 million pound government contract so what value do we place really on uh, what we're, we're doing you know I, it's, it's it's hard to measure imagine and we could double it if we had the money yeah.
0: and uh, next i just wanted to chat to you a little bit about you you know you, you personally you, your role as one of the founders and as a trustee um and i know before we started the podcast in the past we've spoken a bit about your kind of previous career and some of the jobs you did and i just wondered like how when you look back at, across some of your previous roles versus what you do with the felix project which gives you the biggest sense of satisfaction
1: and, and why so there was a huge amount of satisfaction to be involved in something that was not being done for purely commercial uh commercial reasons and it has been particular success because it has grown and it's turned into such a extraordinarily valuable um uh charity in such a short space of time and to be Part of that for so long, I mean, is in itself a, a tremendous reward and something in which, you know, I'm very proud. However, sort of modest my role in the uh, in the uh, uh, I nearly said company, but the charity has been. Um, I, I it might be difficult this
0: question to pick out one particular moment, but I'm, I'm going to ask you, like over the last seven years, what, what has been your proudest moment within the Felix Project? Is there some like a particular moment that stands out to you? One in
1: particular, but I would say I, I've been involved in setting up relationships with um, quite a few of the charities that are uh, in my particular area, which is North Kensington and um, North Westminster, which themselves have shockingly high levels of, of poverty, in fact. So going down to the organizations there and meeting the people Helping to support and seeing the difference that the food that we were able to deliver to them made has been hugely rewarding and satisfying. And it's something that I still like to do. I mean, I just two days ago I went down to meet uh, the woman that had run a small crash, which is in the shadow of Grenfell Tower. And uh, they provide after school care from 30 to 50. Children that were on the state at, uh, around Grenfell, and the parents were working. They were on universal credit. They were trying to hold down a job, pay the rent, and they needed somewhere, uh, something to do with their children after school. And this uh, this crash cr- 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 provided a facility for these kids to 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 go and to be looked after. Um, after school. And, you know, as the woman that ran it told me, these, they turn up from schools. I know from my own kids, and you probably do from yours. Kids would turn up at the end of the day, absolutely ravenous. Um, and they had no facilities. Then the volunteers that were running this crash would, um, go out and spend their own money buying food. I was introduced to them by another woman from a charity that we have supported since the very, very early days of Felix. And we started delivering food to them within two or three days you know and it, it was an absolutely transformational experience for them you know and and we've kept that relationship up um, ever since so it's it's small incidences like that which for me mean a lot I mean because theory we read about food poverty, I mean we hear about it, but you know to actually go down and essentially get involved at that sort of granular operational level has been extraordinarily rewarding and it's something that you know i now think i will carry on doing you know for many years whether or not i'm still involved in the felix project
0: i I can imagine like nothing hits harder than you seeing it firsthand in front of you and then also being able to help them in some way will, will, will always be like i think the the most touching thing that will ever be there for like a person
1: another more recent uh Event uh, of which I'm incredibly proud, is a visit last week, I think it was, of His Majesty King Charles, who came to our depot at Poplar and uh, was shown around and uh, was extraordinarily interested and engaged in what we were doing. And I think to have that acknowledgement of the king's presence and, indeed, his support... For our charity, a particular uh, program that we've got to uh, fund the purchase of fridges and freezers for the people that we are delivering food to, uh, which enables us to source more food than we would otherwise have been able to, was a very, very special moment indeed. Imagine.
0: How does something like that even come about? Like, Are you reaching out to them or did he get in touch? or Obviously, someone from his his party... Uh,
1: through one of our trusted, through Jane, in fact, Jane had a connection with um, the somebody in the the King's office. Uh, So that initial connection, which was then taken up by our uh, extraordinary CEO, Charlotte. And um, it went from, you know, uh, uh, inchoate idea in, I believe, october to actually happening in um in um march it was not an amazing event you know?
0: yeah yeah I, I don't think there's much higher recognition and I, I, you're the first guest i think that can say that they've had the the, the royal majesty come and can visit <laughs> what they do so that's that's a huge
1: thing yeah, well, well we may well have a coat of arms above our depots before long who knows
0: <laughs> hopefully
1: <laughs> yeah
0: my next question is going to be like, as one of the trustees, as one of the founding members of the charity, what are some of the toughest decisions that you have to make as a group? Is it that what we come back to? You kind of touched on a little bit. Is like trying to choose where the food is distributed to, and you can't
1: help everybody, or is it something completely different? No, it's exactly that. You know, we we as I, we we deliver to about a thousand. Different organizations and uh, schools in total. Now, we've got a waiting list of over 500. Now, in the last month alone, another 150 charities have registered with us for food. Now, there is always this concern and this nagging doubt. Are we delivering to the places where the food is needed most? Are we delivering to the places that appreciate it most, where we get the biggest, you know, they will, it will get the biggest bang for its buck. and it's a tricky question to uh, to, to 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 answer because um, we do need to be selective in who we're giving you know in who we're delivering food to, um, and it I I, I do agonise over the fact that you know we've got five hundred people more on our on our waiting list. How many of those would be better beneficiaries, for example, than some of the ones that we're delivering to at the moment? I can't answer that question, and it's a real, it'll be a real art, uh, and to some extent beyond, I think, our capability at the moment to uh, to do that. So the real solution to that problem is to be able to collect more food. It's there? You know, we just need to be able to get our hands on it and have the resources and wherewithal to uh, deliver it to this. Extra five hundred and seventy-five charities, who I have got no doubt is a number that's going to be increasing more over the next six to twelve months.
0: And then the the final section of the podcast is chatting a bit about just um, you know how, how you've gone about growing the organisation, and like you touched on earlier, it, it's significantly changed from the one employee in twenty sixteen to the hundred and fifty plus right now. It comes to hiring people for the Felix Project like as a com- uh, sorry as an organization like what, what do you look for in people
1: like a standout trait or skill that you look for the Felix project I mean is in many ways a business and we've tried to in order to keep the levels of efficiency which are so important and given the nature of the charity which involves you know so many things which would be recognized in private sector where we have to collect food build up relationships uh, uh, earn the trust of the food sector, um, uh, operate warehouses, uh, operate vans and trucks, and to do so with the added complexity of working with volunteers who, we as has been important and pointed out to me, they're not employees. Volunteers are donors. They're donors of their time. They're donors of their, their ability and their skills. Uh, it's a complex, it's a very, very complex procedure. So, we need to be able to hire people that can understand that pressure that have some commercial ability as well that realize the importance of relationships um and can work under a high pressure environment often and importantly multitask you know that they can be able to get their hands dirty doing the uh, driving a van one day rather than working in the accounts department because we're short of volunteers so so people that have that kind of mindset that uh and aren't afraid of hard work and want to have a pride in the company the charity that the, we are and um, wish to remain that 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 would probably be the single most important quality not what they've got on paper not their paper qualifications necessarily but you know that rarest of commodities I suppose common sense and hard work and uh, willingness to um, do the work whatever the circumstances are would be they're they're, they're like like gold dust to find people like that
0: definitely and and like again just the few shifts I've done the depot I can totally see that because you've got food coming in trying to organize what's going to go out you've got people in the office doing bits and pieces volunteers coming in in the morning and the lunch like after lunch organising all these people make sure they have a job there's a lot to be managing so you need to be able to multitask and, and do that under pressure but in a calm way um so can totally see that on the other side of things what do you think attracts people to working for the Felix projects? Because I'm, you know, being brutally honest, I'm sure if it was about money, then people could make more money in the private sector. But what do you think it is about the
1: Felix project that has allowed you to hire these 150 people? Well, the volunteers, of course, get paid nothing. I mean, I think we do sort of have a policy of, you know, people get some travel expenses covered if they want, but you know, they are actually that they are volunteers. The attraction i think where we we're lucky is the same re, the same thing that attracted us to the charity in the first place it's 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 taking surplus food which would go to landfill or anaerobic digestion and delivering it to where it's most needed so it's such a you know there's sort of a simple kind of symmetrical elegance about that which is easily understandable everybody gets it nobody cannot quickly, immediately grasp how wonderful it is to take food that's going to get wasted and deliver it to people that need it. I mean, you know, and I think that is the key reason also that volunteers would be attracted to the organization. Some volunteers, they hate the idea of food waste. Other volunteers feel that the environmental impact of what we do is is equally important, or if not more important, than uh, uh, anything else. So it's this ability to attract people to uh, a charity that is effectively solving two problems simultaneously is the what is um in a, not a usp other charities is extraordinarily worthwhile but you know it is very appealing to many many people our ability to uh solve food waste and food poverty simultaneously
0: and um, i think on that on that note for anyone either interested in working for the Felix project or volunteering um i will put the link in the show notes but um please check out dot felixproject.org um and as someone who has volunteered like highly highly recommend it um yeah michael it from my side it's been a real pleasure having you on the show thanks for coming on to chat with us today
1: well that's very kind and i and thank you so much for your time i really enjoyed it thank you
0: thanks for listening to today's episode if you've enjoyed it please subscribe share this episode and leave us a review we're just getting started out so it would mean a lot to us This episode was brought to you by Craig Turner, produced by Jabril al-Sahaymi and sponsored by Jobs for Good. Until next time.